0: Probably thinking, geez, does Tim still drink? No, I don't. It's always encouraging to come up before you preach and have people say things like, I forgot my tomatoes to throw at you. Or, hey, can you wake me up halfway through your sermon? <laughs> so, I will. <laughs> Please turn your Bibles to Psalms uh, Psalms 107. Psalms 107. The title of my sermon this morning is Thanksgiving, is Thanksgiving, and we're going to draw out of Psalms 107 what we are to be thankful for, for there are many, but uh, I really like what Psalms 107 says. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks and praise for this beautiful morning. Thank you for the praise songs, Father, that we sung. I pray that it was a pleasant sound to your hearing, Father, as we come before you and lay our hearts and our minds before you. We give you thanks. Uh, because, Father, you have provided all things to all of us. All we ever need, all we will ever have, comes from you. And we give you thanks for that. And so, Father, I just pray this morning that uh, that spirit of thanksgiving would permeate in your place, permeate in our hearts and our lives, not just on one day, but every day. In Jesus' name. You know, last Thursday we uh, obviously celebrated Thanksgiving. And although the original date for Thanksgiving was established on the 26th of November, which is tomorrow, um, it is a day that was fashioned for Thanksgiving and prayer. That's what the proclamation announced. And although... Thanksgiving over the years has fashioned itself into a time of family, which is okay. That's what we do on Thanksgiving. We spend time with family, as we did up in Langdon, as you did on your day. Maybe we catch a football game and prayed for the Bears to lose to the Lions, but it didn't happen. Or we get ready for the holiday shopping season by getting the large paper for the Black Friday ads. But I hope we spent time in reflection and prayer, giving thanks to the Almighty God for His steadfast love. Within Psalms 107, the author highlighted six works, six things the Almighty God has done for us, His redeemed, that we are to give continual thanks for. And although this psalm was written in relationship to the tribe of Judah and the exile of Israel, and how God delivered them from that exile, from that affliction, and from their disobedience, I couldn't help but admire also how the psalm spoke to me about our redemption and what He's done for us. And so let's examine Psalms 107 and unlock the richness that is in it. First, let us read verses 1 through 9. It says, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way, till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. For He satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul He fills with good things. When I meditate, I think about my salvation and how God called me out of the wilderness of my sinful life. I cannot help but weep as to how undeserving I am of this grace. For it is by grace that we have been saved, not of ourselves. Meaning there was no observance, no act, no penance, no service, no sacrifice, which could ever be made on our own that would open the doors of heaven for our salvation. It was by the Lord's own hand, by His own election, He chose us. A great and wonderful mystery in and of itself. And then He called us unto Himself just as we were sinners, lost in our sin. You see, before the foundations of the world were set, He knew us, and He called us, and He predestined us, and He separated us and consecrated us. As I said, it's the greatest of all mysteries, and it's one of the greatest miracles that we'll ever see. In fact, it'll take a lifetime for us to even scratch the surface of what He's done. You see, we were the ones who wandered in the deserts of our own sin, finding no city to dwell in, no refuge. We were hungry for something in our life that brought meaning, and we thirsted for purpose. As a result, we fainted within our own soul, with no substance from this world to sustain us. Our hope was in our flesh, Our hope was in our way. Our hope was in a world that had no love for us and yet deceived it with its own. For what lies in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We were lost, we wandered, we were hopeless and in a desperate need of a Savior. That is when our Lord found us. Deserted and all alone, He heard our distress on the road leading to perdition. He heard our call. He heard our cry. He heard our weeping. And He delivered us from our distress. And He led us on the path that was straight and brought us to the city of redemption and filled us with His goodness and His Spirit. Our redemption is the single greatest act of love God has ever bestowed upon us. It is to be celebrated and praised every single day with thanksgiving. Before our feet hit the ground in the morning, we should give God all the praise and all the glory for our redemption. For His mercy He bestowed upon us. It is my position That if we fail to give thanks for our redemption daily, it will wane in significance over time and lessen our passion for Him. The essence of our ministry is our redemption. It is the heart of our testimony, our purpose, our drive, our witness, our mission, and it fuels our passion for those ministries. If a person be passionless for the ministry of God, it is because they lack a passion in giving thanks for their own redemption. Let that not be us. You know, we see this played out with Israel. And that soon after they were freed by the hand of God, Through Moses, they soon forgot their deliverance and significance and began to murmur and complain and fall into disobedience. Let us never fail to give thanks to God for our redemption. Let us never forget that it was He who called us out of the wilderness through His grace and redeemed our souls. For not only it is the greatest of mysteries and miracles, but it's the substance that fuels our passion for Him. Secondly, we are to give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures for those, because He restores the redeemed. Let's read read verses 10 through 16. For some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man, for He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. In verse 10 through 16, we see the author of the Psalms reflect upon the imprisonment and irons of the afflicted. The author is speaking once again about the tribe of Israel and their captivity. We see in verse 11, it was due to their rebellion against the Word of God, and He spurned the counsel, and they spurned the counsel of the Most High God. Although they were God's people, they rebelled against God, and as a result, they were enslaved by their own disobedience. Brothers and sisters, you know my story, or most of you do, I trust, my testimony. You know I was saved at the age of 14, but rebelled against God Until the Lord grabbed a hold of me at age 27. I spoke about this when I preached on sanctification. And how the CMA calls it the crisis moment. Where I came to a place where I needed the Holy Spirit to fill me completely. The commitment I made at a young age. Soon turned into a life of selfless sin. And separation from God. Because of many reasons, and I don't want to go into them as it will add to the length of the sermon already. It is a mystery to me as to why God allowed that through His permissive will. God allowed me to live a life of disobedience, always protecting me, however. For I can recall all the times that God delivered me, even though I didn't pray for it, to keep me on the path that He desired for me, even though I was living in a life of disobedience. Why? Because I was His. God didn't give up on me. God never abandoned me. God never turned His back on me. I was soon imprisoned by my sin and suffering under its affliction and consequences to what we read in Psalms 107. A great example of this is the parable of the prodigal son. We find it in the Gospels. You guys probably recall the parable and that a man had two sons. The first son desired his inheritance. He wanted the father to divide up his property. He wanted his share now. He did not want to wait. And after he received his inheritance, it wasn't long after that, he left his father's house. He went to a faraway land. And he squandered all the wealth that he was given on reckless living. Soon a great famine affected that area. And he was in need. He hired himself out as an indentured servant to feed pigs who ate better than he did. Then he remembered his father's house and how his servants were well cared for. He repented of his sin and returned to his father's house. And while he was still a long ways away, His father saw him, felt compassion, and ran to him. The son confessed his sin. And in humility recognized he was no longer worthy to be called the man's son. But the father received him. Not as a servant, but as a son. And gave him a robe and a ring. And they celebrated By slaughtering a fatted calf. They celebrated and praised the return of the prodigal son. You see, there are many truths that we can learn from this parable. As it relates to the restoration of the redeemed. First, as I stated earlier, it's a mystery how God may allow some of us to live in disobedience for a period of time. Only to call us back. Only to bring the spirit of repentance That yearns for our return to the Father. Maybe you squandered what God provided you. And He allowed you for a time. To delay His plan for your life. But soon you recognized your error. Soon you realized life that you were living was entrenched in sin. And it's hard. And there was no joy. But when God sent the spirit of repentance and reminded you of the grace of God and how good He was as a father, you confessed your sin and remembered His grace and favor and you returned to Him where He was waiting for you with open arms running towards you. As a result, a celebration occurred that continues today and needs to continue in our hearts praising God. For His long-standing love for us. Brothers and sisters, for those of you that may be listening on the internet or, or here today. For those of you that have wandered from God. I've been there. I lived it. And let me just say one thing. The distance you have placed from God can always be removed by the love of God. He never left. You did. And he is standing there with open arms waiting to receive you home. Listen to what Romans chapter 8 says. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do not listen to the lies of the evil one, that if you have abandoned God, God has abandoned you, because that is not true. He longs for you. He yearns for you. He wants to clothe you in a robe of righteousness. And He wants to celebrate your repentance and your return. Next, we are also to give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever as He heals the redeemed. He heals the redeemed. In verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He delivered them from their distress. He sent out His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of the deeds in songs of joy. We see in verse 17 that through simple ways and because of iniquities, some suffer affliction. In life, we can suffer wounds from sin, the results of sin. And it comes by way of three avenues. Our own sin, the sin of others, and just the result of a lost and fallen world. As a result, we can suffer wounds, wounds that hurt deep within our soul. You know, although at times sin feels good, one does not see the damage it causes in a spiritual life. It's likened to a drug user who enjoys the high of a drug, but is oblivious to the damage that is causing its body. You know, as a chaplain, I had to go to drug and narcotics training in order to recognize those that are on drugs and also to recognize drugs that may be at a scene. In this training, they showed the progression of meth and the destruction it has on a life. And in the picture was a young woman who had just recently been busted for meth and had just started using it. She looked normal. But soon as the pictures progressed, And over a period of time, you can see the effects that meth had on the person. Sores begin to develop. Teeth begin to rot. And the last picture that they had, she didn't even look like her first picture. She looked like a zombie. As I looked, I could not help but see what the effect the drug had on her life because she was blinded by its sensation. Deceived by its addiction. Sin is no different. Although the natural body receives much enjoyment at times from sin, unfortunately, the damage that occurs to the spirit can be seen and felt. Obviously, the sanctification of our soul is God's priority in our life. However, what is also a priority in our life is the healing of the wounds of sin. Listen to Psalms 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. This psalm speaks of two different healings. On the one hand, it speaks of the healing of wounds within our spirit, as depicted as our heart. The other wounds that may be surface or internal, but they are physical. Whether our wounds are internal or external, God desires to heal them, and He can. You know, when I went to Spokane, you've some of you may have heard this story before, but it's a powerful story to set up this point. When I went to Spokane with a friend of mine to a mega church, they were having a baptismal service when I was there. And on one screen in the church, which is, like I said, a mega church, they had a big screen, In another room, separate to what we could see, they had a video playing of people being baptized. And all the while, they were being baptized. Numerous people, I can't number the amount of them, would come up to the main stage in which, the sanctuary in which I was sitting. And they would come from the back of the sanctuary stage, and they would come to the front, holding poster board signs about this big. And on the front of it, you would see who they were. Such as a broken marriage. A couple came up holding a sign that said broken marriage. Only to flip it over and see united in Christ. Another lady brought up a sign that said addiction. Only to flip it over and see delivered in Christ. Another person came up with a sign that says alcoholic. They flipped it over. Sober in Christ. Another person came up with a sign that said abused. Flipped it over. Made whole in Christ. And another person came up. With a sign that said suicidal. It flipped it over. Living for Christ. As much as God wants to forgive us. He also desires to heal those wounds in you. Jeremiah 17 says this. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall, be, I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Next, we are also to give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever, as He is our refuge and our deliverer. Let's look at verses 23. Some went down into the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, His wondrous works in the deep. For He commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. They courage, their courage melted away in their in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. life is going to have its storms. Those times when the waves of the world will crash against the hull of your life and you will find yourself in the midst of a storm. They They are not always a result of your sin or your disobedience, but they are all moments of testing and refinement. My son and I have been fishing several times, and we'll see a thundercloud moving, and we're thinking, it's not coming this way. We're good. And as it continues to approach as if it was a direct beam on us, fishing started to really improve as it does before a storm. And we're like, oh, we're catching fish. I think we're fine. I think we'll have time out in the middle of Van Hook Arm. Miles from shore. And Seth would say, as a child who's not very wise in these things, Dad, I think that storm's getting closer. At which I would say, No, it's not. <laughs> and it was. And soon, lightning hit. That's usually the sign to give up. But we pressed on, catching fish. We put down our carbon rods and picked up our fiberglass rods. Soon it was upon us and it started to hail. That's never a good feeling in a boat. There's no place to hide. So we reeled in everything, and we just took off for shore, and it was one of the roughest rides we ever had. That's a storm you can see. And sometimes we're not very wise in how to approach it. But then there's also storms that come out of nowhere. Todd and I were fishing over by Newtown. And I remember looking up, and I said, Todd, what's that dust cloud? He goes, I don't know, construction? Nope. Nope windstorm, I've never seen waves that tall in my life. They were at least six foot. We had no idea it was coming. Nobody did. It just materialized and blew through. That's life. Some of us can see that storm coming, and we need to prepare and be wise. For others, they just happen. For which we just need to rest in the refuge of our Lord. You see, within those scriptures I've read in verse 25, we see a couple of truths that we need to observe as it relates to the storms of life. First in verse 25, God is sovereign over every storm you will face. No storm will ever befall you that surprises God. He is sovereign over all of them. Secondly, they knew whom to call upon in verse 28. They cried out to the Lord. You know, sometimes in our rugged individualism, we'll say, Nah, we're good. We can make it. No, we need to cry out to the Lord in the storms of life. We need to cast our burden upon Him. We need to cry out that He would save us. Third, And the most precious. He delivered them. He delivered them. He delivered them from their storms. You see, there's something we need to grasp as children of God. The deliverance of the redeemed is just not wishful thinking. It's just not a fleeting hope that we have. It's just not something that comes to some, but not others. It always happens for them, but not me. We need to grasp that in the storms of life, it is a promise that He will deliver you. Psalms 34, 17 says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Psalms 50, 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Psalms 34, 4, I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. The deliverance of the redeemed is a promise from an all-sovereign God who loves you. He is just. He is right. He cannot lie. So now one might ask, Well then why have I struggled for so long in the midst of my trouble? Why has God not answered my prayer? Why are the waves seemingly bashing into my life all the time? As with storms, as I mentioned earlier, some are brief. Where others last for days, such as a hurricane, that can cause significant damage. In either case, God's promise is that you will not be overcome by them. He will deliver you from them, and they will not destroy you or your faith in him although you may suffer loss physically and materialistically you will be delivered I'll give you an example of such a situation in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 we hear the words of paul for we do not want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction we experienced in asia speaking in relationship to a personal example of how God delivered him. And we could do the same by remembering and recalling and studying and writing the words of God's promises on our heart. For we are His redeemed. We are His righteousness. We are also to give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever for he is the for he blesses the redeemed verses 33 through 38 he turns the rivers into a desert springs of water into thirsty ground a fruitful land into a sultry waste because of the evil of his inhabitants he turns a desert into pools of water a parched land into springs of water and there he lets the hungry dwell and they establish a city to live in they sow their fields plant their vineyards and get a fruitful yield by His blessings, they multiply greatly. And He does not let their livestock diminish. When we look at verses 33 through 38, we first see a land that is deserted and void of substance. No life. And yet when we read verses 35 through 38, we see a land full of live, life-giving substance and abundance and fruit. Although we may have received blessings from God while we were unredeemed, God allows the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust for His purpose. But there is a direct correlation in that the redeemed of God transitioned from a parched and unfruitful land to a land full of blessings and substance. You know, as I read verses 33 through 38, I'm reminded as to how God transitioned my life from a barren wasteland that bore no fruit to an abundant land flowing with water, flowing with community, and flowing with fruit. Although these verses spoke of the promise, the promised land of Israel and the blessings God bestowed upon them, when I read them in light of my own redemption, I see some very special things. First, We now possess the flowing water, which is the Holy Spirit in us. You know the verse, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who loved me and gave himself for me. You have life flowing water, the Holy Spirit in your life. Second, we know we now belong to a community of fellowship. We belong to that city in which he speaks of, which is Christ's church and all of you. I've never had this before. I've never had friends as close as I do with you. It is the bonds of Christ that join us together. We love each other, we care for each other, and we minister to one another. This is a very real blessing that we have received in our redemption. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I thank God every day for you. One of the things that I I just was overwhelmed with when I first became a Christian was the fact that I was now a part of a community. Now a part of a fellowship. Where people actually do care. They prayed for me. They ministered to me. And then when I understood what the community was and what the fellowship was, then I began to pray for others. Serve them. And it just begin to circle. Brothers and sisters, there are people out there today that don't have what we have. Not only in redemption, but in community. I know who I can call in this room when my heart is breaking. Or when my heart is full of joy. Or when my heart is in need. And I know who will call me when they need an encouragement. A prayer, a voice, an ear, that's community. He's given that to us. We no longer wander in the desert by ourselves. We now belong to a family. Thirdly, my, now, my life now bears fruit by the way of the Holy Spirit. It has purpose. It has meaning. God has enriched all of us with the gift and the abilities and blessings bestowed upon us for the purpose of ministry. And these bear fruit that is good and pleasing to the Lord. Listen to Psalms 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Listen to this now. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. He prospers. Now you notice I didn't talk about, I, I, I spoke about receiving the Holy Spirit, community, and also A life that bears fruit in keeping with repentance. Yes, it's also true that God will bless you with possessions as well. And we need to honor God with those as well. But we are far richer from what we received in the way of the Holy Spirit and community and the ability and the privilege it is to minister for God. So let us give him all the thanks and glory for that. Finally, Joe, you can wake up now. Finally, we are to give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever, for He is our justice. Verses 39. When they were diminished and brought low, their oppression, evil, and sorrow, He pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of the affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Within these verses we see that God is the God of justice under the hand of the oppressor. Because of the fall of man there always has been and always will be injustice. I don't know if it is because That I've been in law enforcement for so long. But when I see an injustice, I become angry. And I was encouraged a couple weeks ago not to be angry in sin. We will feel, we will experience injustice in our life with some lasting a lifetime. What needs to be understood is there's a difference in suffering. Physical or spiritual affliction. I spoke about earlier. And injustice. Although injustice can have its own type of suffering. You see, injustice is prosecuted by institutions of power under the corruptness of man. Throughout the Bible, we see injustice. And the greatest of these is with Jesus Himself. No greater injustice hath befallen a person such as the injustice of Christ. Not only was Jesus innocent of all charges and falsely accused by one of His own disciples, but He was denied and rejected by His own people. And yet, He did not resist. He did not defend. He did not call down legion of angels to deliver him. He simply understood that what must transpire needed to transpire. He needed to go to the cross and redeem his people. And he went there with joy in his heart. I think we have a misguided understanding of suffering and injustice. We feel because we are in Christ that we should live a trouble-free life. In fact, there are people that actually preach that. Scripture, however, shows because we are in Christ, the world will hate us because it hated Him first. Additionally, it shows that although God is perfectly just, we are not just. We are imperfect. And because we live in a fallen world and fallen man has hatred and injustice, it will find the lowest common denominator in which to prosecute its ignorance. Listen to what 1 Peter 4, 12-16 says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange had happened to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed you see our suffering in injustice brings about god's glory and this will bring rejoicing and gladness you see the injustice is going on take for instance the middle east where our brothers and sisters in christ are suffering at the hands of intolerant and evil people And it's bringing glory to God. I know that sounds counterintuitive. But it's projecting the witness of Christ. And now thousands are coming to Christ as a result of it. In a land that was lost. Christ suffered injustice and redeemed us. Through suffering. So that he can be. So that we can be the witness for Him. But we need to not lose hope in the face of injustice. Isaiah 30, 18 says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is the God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for Him. Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it, To the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Yes, we will face injustice. Yes, at times from that we will suffer as a result. But never lose hope in the fact that God is a sovereign God, and God is a God of justice, and He will repay. That is why He tells us and commands us not to seek justice, but to defer it to Him. Because He's right. In his justice. So how do we defeat injustice? How do we deal with injustice? We deal with it with the love of Christ. We deal with it with the love of Christ. The same love that he used and demonstrated and showed on the cross in his injustice. So let us give thanks to the Lord. For he is the God of injustice. In closing, this past Thursday, we celebrated Thanksgiving. And although this is not a typical Thanksgiving message as far as it relates to that day, there is much to be thankful for. And Psalms 107 highlights six of those areas. You know, the original proclamation established Thanksgiving was signed by George Washington in 1789 in which both chambers of the Congress urged him to declare that day a day of thanksgiving and prayer. Thanksgiving and prayer. The 26th is tomorrow. Then, as historic that date is in relationship to the original proclamation, let us give thanks every day for what God has done for his redeemed. And let us remember the six works of Psalm 107 that he has done and continues to do for us today. Let us pray. Father God, I give you thanks and praise for who you are and what you do. I thank you, Father God, that in you, Father God, we find our redemption, that you called us out of our sin. You redeemed us. And that, Father God, you also recall those who are disobedient, your love never diminishes. Father, you, you never separate us to the point where we can never return. Father, you always deliver us from our troubles. Father, you heal our wounds. You want so much to heal our wounds caused by sin. You want to transition our life into a life that reflects the glory of you. Father, you are a blesser. You bless us in so many ways. And you continue to shower us with those blessings because we're your redeemed. And also, Father, you are the God of injustice. And if we ever face it, we know that you are right. And you are good. And you judge rightly. So, Father, we come before you this morning with thanksgiving in our hearts. And we just ask, Father God, as we continue out this week, this month, this year, that every day we would give you thanks for your steadfast love and the works that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.